Well, what I think is really interesting is people who are just being hired right now are actually going through a completely different hiring process, which includes a metric that they may not know about, but is certainly something that is taken into account. And that's really your on-camera presence. So if you were going through the interview process uh, and you successfully landed your position, I would guess that you probably already paid attention to what I call your personal production value. Hello, it's Marcy Bullock with season two of your favorite career readiness podcast. Learn tips on personal and professional development, hear inspiring stories of overcoming obstacles. I devote my life to helping other people figure out what to devote theirs to. This is Marcy Bullock with the most important five Ps. Stay present, trust the process, explore your path, release the pressure valve, and unleash your potential. Hello, Wolfpack fans. It's Marcy Bullock. Today, I have Karen Reed here to talk about her new book, Suddenly Virtual. Welcome, Karen. Thank you so much for having me, Marcy. It's really a great opportunity to be here to talk about the book, but also I feel a certain allegiance to the Wolfpack, uh, considering that I have a son who is just wrapping up his sophomore year. So thank you so much for having me. We're delighted to have you. Yes. And it's it's wonderful to talk about this book. And before we dive into this, which is such a great title, of course, for the 2020-2021 pandemic of everyone being in two dimension suddenly, tell us a little bit about your background and why you're qualified to write a book like this. Absolutely. So I'll begin my origin story with my early career, which was spent primarily working for NBC. I was a broadcast journalist, uh, won an Emmy along the way, interviewed luminaries like Muhammad Ali. Uh, then I left the business in 2004 to apply my skills in the corporate world. And what I found is that uh, more and more often, I would be hired as the professional on-camera spokesperson, but they pull somebody in from the corner office or the corner cubicle to appear on camera alongside of me and expect them to perform at the same level of skill. That often did not go so well. <laughs> so I recognized a business opportunity to teach people who never imagined they'd have to be good on-camera communicators how to be one. Uh, so that was about a decade ago uh, when I began my business speaker dynamics. So I've been teaching these on-camera communication skills for a long time. But then uh, over the last year and a half, uh, business has boomed because we went from you know just having de facto spokespeople for the company have to be on camera to everyone having to be on camera. <laughs> So it's been a, an amazing opportunity for us to help people navigate this new modality. Um, I can tell you a little bit about the origin story of the book, if you would like. I would love to hear that. Okay. So, so my co-author is Dr. Joseph Allen, who is one of the foremost thought leaders in meeting science, and that is indeed a thing. And we were working together for a webinar on the modern meeting, what that would look like in the future. We did the webinar the first week of March of 2020, and we talked about how in three, five, 10 years, uh, the meeting would be primarily virtual with video at its core. So, you know, he was there as a meeting scientist, I was there as a video communication expert. So what happened was <laughs> COVID took everything into complete chaos the second week of March, and everything that we postulated would happen three, five, 10 years out happened in three weeks. <laughs> so so we, we thought, okay, how can we 
uh, join forces in a larger way and amplify the message. And we did so through the book, helping people to just try to figure out how to make these meetings much more effective because it's difficult. Um, and even though initially there was this kind of rush to do emergency measures, like we're, we're not going to do what works best. We're going to do what works now. Um, now there is a move towards a strategic approach, trying to figure out, okay, how can we truly make these virtual meetings uh, something that they're productive, they're effective for everyone, and you can move business forward because they're not going away. They're not going away. Exactly. We're all looking at what's going to be happening with the future. And my goodness, if you had had a crystal ball and realized what would be happening, how important this expertise you have and this partnership you have with the meeting scientist, I love that you use data to pull all of your recommendations in because there's probably no one listening that hasn't been in a virtual setting. Now for our students, they're just graduating and starting their first job. So they would have been maybe in a virtual classroom and now moving into a setting where they might not even meet their colleagues in person. So what kind of tips do you have for the young professional who's just beginning in this virtual atmosphere? Well, what I think is really interesting is people who are just being hired right now are actually going through a completely different hiring process, which includes a metric that they may not know about, but is certainly something that is taken into account. And that's really your on-camera presence, which whoever thought that that'd be something that you'd have to be concerned about in the interviewing process, but it's true. So digital hiring was already catching a lot of, of steam prior to the pandemic, but now obviously it, it became the only way people were, were hiring um, as of late. And they may not outright say, you know, make sure that you are showing up the way you want to when you're on webcam, but they definitely take it into account. So if you were going through the interview process uh, and you successfully landed your position, I would guess that you probably already paid attention to what I call your personal production value. Um, that's everything from your audio, your lighting, your background, uh, your framing. Uh, but if you were able to get through the process, land the job without doing it, I would say just make sure that you focus on it to one degree or another as you go into your uh, actual position, because it does make a difference. So for example, if you have your face all in shadow uh, and you're trying to connect with new colleagues, it makes it so much more difficult whenever you're just a shadowy figure. Uh, when we are in a virtual setting, it's all about uh, trying to create connection, but it, it requires uh, a more strategic effort, a different approach. So you have nonverbals that you can convey through the camera lens, but there are fewer of them. You're limited by the screen. So the ones that you do have, <laughs> make sure that they're very easily read. So light your face, let people see your facial expressions uh, you know, as clearly as possible. And that can be something as simple as facing a window or grabbing a lamp and putting it you know, behind your webcam. Uh, there are a bunch of tips that I can give you relative to production value uh, essentials. And some people consider it to not be you know, worthwhile, but it's not about vanity. It is about showing respect for your conversation partner and making it easy for them to receive your message. And when you're trying to connect with people initially in a new position, uh, that's really, really important. 
That is such an interesting concept. Be respectful of your conversation partner. And you're right. If you think about it, if you haven't even taken the effort to be serious about how you can communicate on camera, and it looks like you just rolled out of bed and there are shadows. And the other thing that I think about, too, is... Um, the dog barking, because I'm actually recording today from my campus office, but a lot of times that happens and I'll laugh about it. And you can tell me if this is bad. Oh my goodness, working <laughs> virtually, Mojo, there's the UPS person. What do you say to do when something unexpected happens at home? The baby cries, the doorbell rings. Well, there's been definitely a shift because if you remember there several years ago, there was a very infamous BBC interview where a professor was being interviewed um, and his children came into his office as he was on his satellite interview and, and the kid comes in on the little walker, the other one kind of bounces up behind him and the mother comes running into the room and basically tries to grab them out of the room and, and make sure everything is copacetic. And what he tried at the time was to pretend like it was not happening. Uh, we all knew it was happening. <laughs> so the new suggestion is don't ignore it. Just figure out how to get into problem solving mode as quickly as possible. Address it as efficiently as possible. Making a joke, Marcy, is perfectly fine. And in fact, something I would recommend. One of my um, former colleagues at uh, NBC, he had a habit if he kicked a word, like if he messed up a word, uh, he would just take his, his thumb and basically like act as if he was pulling the word out of his mouth. <laughs> just to be funny. And, and it created this, this authenticity rather uh, that really resonated with the audience. And that's what I would suggest to you that if you do laugh it off, you know, that's completely fine. If anything, uh, COVID has taught us to be empathetic and understanding of people's individual challenges in their own space. And so I think that definitely works. Uh, what would, I would also tell you is recognize it can be an opportunity to connect. So say, for example, you're like one of my clients who was on a very important business call with a key opinion leader and her young daughter came running in and climbed up on her lap. At first she was horrified, but then the person on the other side, this very prestigious person uh, just started to laugh and then told her about her struggles with you know virtual school and having her kids at home. And they shared a really nice, genuine personal moment, which you can bet is going to lead to better business relationships. So embrace those moments of unexpected authenticity, roll with them. Uh, and just know that we're all in this together, that that communal vulnerability has actually really changed the dynamics to some degree uh, in our personal space, as well as in our business uh, relationships. And, and, and that's a good thing. I think that's very true. And I'm glad you reassured me on that because there's this be professional notion. And even my title is professional development. That's my director role. And I think it's it's goofy because I'm goofy and I'm never perfect. And I'm always, you know, messing things up and fumbling over words when I teach. And that is the human side that we all make mistakes. We're not expected to be perfect. And right. the part you talked about with just a shared humanity. Yeah. This is the only time in my many decades on the planet that we've all shared a struggle together. And that can really bring us together and 
build some some trust. What are some other interesting things you can do in a meeting to help build trust when maybe you would have been in an office and not had the opportunity to do something, icebreakers or anything of that nature? Well, one of the things that's missing in a virtual world is the social lubrication that we typically would have naturally if we were sharing a physical space. You don't have those moments of serendipity where you bump into somebody in the break room or you catch up quickly in the hall. That doesn't happen, obviously, if everybody is dispersed. But what I would suggest is, is taking some time uh, to just show some humanity in your, your um, meeting. So, for example, Dr. Allen recommends before you begin any meeting, take some time just to have some non-business informal small talk, uh, just to find out what's going on in people's worlds outside of, of work, uh, because then that helps to continue to build that connected tissue that is sometimes weakened whenever we're virtual. Uh, and, and so that's one thing I would definitely recommend doing. Uh, and then, you know, just allowing yourself to be yourself is really critical. In, in a virtual space where video is at its core, there's a difference in, in the distance between us and our conversation partners is actually a pretty close conversation that we are having and also in a very egalitarian sort of way, right? Because we all show up in the same size box. There's no back of the room uh, and, and there's some benefit to that. And recognizing that you're in this more intimate, personal sort of space um, gives you a little bit more license, I would say, to have a more intimate conversation. Uh, and take advantage of that. Uh, and for example, if you shift from a virtual world into a physical one, you might find that if you're around a conference room, you don't necessarily have the, the premier seat at the table. Uh, and you might not have as much of a voice, um, you know, as you do whenever you all show up uh, in your equal boxes on the screen. So, you know, leverage this time to let your voice be heard. Uh, you know, I think it's really important, especially as you're starting your career, uh, to have that opportunity where your box is the same size as your manager's. <laughs> and, and so that creates a different dynamic that you can actually, uh, I, I don't want to say use because that's, that sounds like a negative connotation, but, but actually uh, just you, it enhances your position, I would say, as you're beginning and recognize that, that you have a voice that, that can be shared uh, in an equal way as, as everyone else um, who's showing up on that screen. That's a good point, especially for women in the workforce. That's a class that I taught this last semester called Women in the Workforce. Mm -hmm. And we, we talked about how sometimes women don't get a seat at the table. And mm -hmm. it's in this Zoom or whatever platform you're using, we all have a seat. How do you speak up though? Now that's that's one of the things that I think is intimidating. Maybe the person in power asks a question and there's 18 people yeah. that are all on mute. And you're wondering, should I jump in? If you're more introverted or extroverted, any thoughts on that? So the biggest challenge is that in order to make these meetings as effective as possible, it does really require a strong facilitator who is proactive in setting the engagement stage, setting expectations for how you can get into the conversation queue. So ideally, you have somebody who is aware of that and is taking control. And, and if we have any leaders out there, allow me to just give a couple of suggestions to that end. You know, let people know how they, they can participate. You know, it can be, you know, the simple please voice 
uh, you know, whatever questions, comments, concerns you might have, you know, by, you know, for example, temporarily unmuting yourself on Zoom only requires you to hold down the space bar. It creates like this intercom system, which is really great. Um, you know, so th that's the one traditional way, but also recognizing that participation can take different forms. Uh, chat is a great function that I would always suggest you lean into because it can be intimidating to speak up in this setting. Uh, and if you are given um, the opportunity to uh, let your voice be heard in text form, uh, that is really a, a valuable asset. And, and it allows for you know, a richer exchange of ideas. Uh, the key thing is you have to, as a leader, attend to that chat. Because if people just put comments in there and nobody sees them, then what's the point? So I would say as a leader, let people know you can speak up, but you can also put comments in the chat function and that you will address them and bring them into the verbal dialogue um, because participation should be equally valued no matter what form it takes. That's a great idea because honestly, this almost gives more freedom for an introvert who is maybe less willing to jump right in with an idea to think about it and then have it well formulated and type it into the chat. Yeah. And so we really need our leaders to be paying attention to that mm -hmm. and utilizing that chat so that we get the conversation heard yeah. and it's not just in the chat and ignored. It's a whole new set of etiquette rules, Karen. I'm so glad you wrote this book because I know our listeners are going to want to get it. You said something earlier about framing when you yeah. talked about production value. Could yeah. you dive into that for just a moment? Absolutely. So the way you frame yourself, and that means like how much of you appears on the screen, uh, changes how you're perceived. Uh, by your conversation partner, because you're actually creating space between you and your conversation partner by how much of you shows up. So for example, if you are seen from the waist up, say, that's called in the business, uh, a medium shot, that is almost like you're emulating a conversation between two people several feet away. Like think about like at a networking event as you're standing up and chatting. Uh, and you have, you know, relatively limited room to gesture, but you can still still gesture. Um, but that that's a different like sort of conversation. There's a little bit more professional space between the two of you. If you frame yourself really, really tightly, meaning that you're seen maybe from the neck up, that is actually like you are in their space. You are invading their personal space to some degree. So you want to create uh, an appropriate distance uh, between you and your conversation partner that you would have if you were talking to them in person. So think about like maybe mid chest up. And the reason why we do this, Marcy, is that you want to create the same sort of canvas for them to read your body language as they would if they were talking to you face to face. And we don't like look from head to toe at them as we're talking to them. We take in their nonverbals basically from about chest up. So give them that canvas to play with whenever you're talking to them virtually. Uh, that will allow you to communicate in full. Uh, the other thing I will mention regarding uh, framing is be aware of your camera angle. If you can see your ceiling in the shot, you are probably using uh, the wrong angle. It's probably angling up. And whenever it angles up, then it looks like you're looking down on your conversation partner. So you want your camera to be pointing straight back at the wall behind you uh, so that it, it feels like you are looking at them, um, you know, in a, a level way where you're looking at them straight in the eye. 
what great tips. And then also what about what to wear? Because I know that sometimes I'm literally, I just got off the bike and I haven't even <laughs> showered and I know no one can smell me. And I'm just like ponytail trying to cut off the t-shirt. Should you be careful about what you wear? And are there some things that maybe are too distracting to wear, especially from your TV days? I'm sure you have some thoughts. A lot of different ideas on this. The first overarching thing to remember is you want to match audience expectations. So the way you show up for a meeting with your team internally is different than the way you'd show up if you were meeting with an external stakeholder. So make sure that you are treating it as if it's a meeting in person, because in essence, you are meeting in person. It's just, it's a virtual room. Uh, as far as what to wear, uh, I would say avoid black or white as your main color. And people always go, what do you black. I have a closet full of black too. But the reason why is that the camera has a hard time reading the nuances of the cut of your garment. And you can look like you're just wearing like a drape <laughs> and you're a floating head. Uh, white is difficult for the camera as well, because it actually loves white and it'll actually almost glow and it throws off the color balance in the rest of the image. So you want to instead choose any other shade other than black and white. Uh, the other thing you should avoid is anything that has a small pattern check tweet or stripe. Uh, the reason why is that the camera will try to focus and refocus, focus and refocus on an itty bitty piece of that pattern. And it can create something called the moray effect where your clothes look like they're kind of shimmering. You might've seen it on TV whenever people are wearing like maybe a funky tie or, or you know, a jacket that has a really tight, uh, tight weave. Uh, so in order to avoid those visual disturbances, try to stick with, you know, something that is solid, a solid shirt, top, sweater, whatever. And I just always counsel people to think about what their background is uh, and try to contrast with it because you want to be the focus of attention. You don't want to be blending into everything on the screen. Uh, you want people to be easily drawn to you uh, and our clothes can help you to do that. That's helpful because today I know I have like some words on mine and people might be looking at my my particular polo going, wait, what does that say? And it's distracting. <laughs> so you mentioned some people can be listening to this on the podcast audio. Let's talk about where to look because <laughs> I am talking to you and I'm looking at the camera. So it looks like I'm looking at you and you probably think I'm looking at you. But when you're talking, should I be looking at you? Tell us Here's a little bit about that. Absolutely. Great question. And this is the one that always trips people up. And it also frustrates them because what I'm going to tell you is going against every natural impulse that you're going to have. Uh, as human beings, we want to look at our people. We want to try to make eye contact with the people with whom we're conversing. But when we do that, we look at the screen. And when we look at the screen, and you can see right now, Marcy, does it look like I'm looking at you? No, it no. doesn't look like I'm looking at you at all. So instead, when you are speaking, you want to primarily be looking at the camera lens because that is what is going to feel most impactful to the person on the other side. So it's not about you. <laughs> it's about your conversation partner. So it's really critical that you not just look at the camera lens, but like actually pour your energy through the camera lens because people have heard, okay, I should be looking at the camera when I'm speaking. But sometimes there is just an acknowledgement of the camera, but it's almost like they're being held hostage and there's no energy being put through it. It. The camera is the conduit to your conversation partner. So you want to treat the camera as if it represents a person's face, which it in essence does. So when you talk to somebody face-to-face, -face, you look away, you glance away. You're primarily though looking at their faces, but we look away casually all the time. And that is kind of the ideal way of doing it. 
And what that does is it allows you to sneak a glance down at the screen at your people and see how they're responding to what you're saying. Like I can see Marcy if you're like nodding your head, but you will also be able to detect if someone is nodding off and then you can change your delivery accordingly. Uh, whenever somebody else is speaking though, there is no need for you to be looking at the camera lens. At that point, it's your opportunity to get the benefit of reading their body language. So when you're talking, Marcy, I'm gonna look at you because I wanna be able to read your message in full. Uh, and, and if you're, for example, sharing slides, this is also another thing that typically trips people up. They're like, well, what do I do? You know, should I still be looking at the camera? Only if you want them to get the information from your face. If you are talking them through a data point on a slide, look at the screen, look at the data yourself. And then in addition to looking at the screen, which will cue them to look at the screen, give them some visual and verbal cues. So for example, um, on Zoom, whenever I'm using my cursor, you can actually see my cursor on the screen as I'm presenting. I'll also typically tell people exactly where I want them to look. You know, On the left-hand side, you can see the pie chart and you see the slice that is in purple. I'm gonna guide their gaze because there's always that moment when you put a slide up where people are saying, what am I looking at? And there's this moment of confusion. And during that moment of confusion, they can't hear what you're saying. <laughs> so you wanna shorten that period of confusion uh, as much as possible by giving them very clear directions where you want them to look. Helpful. Now, what about virtual backgrounds? We see some people choosing those with uh, a brand related to their organization. Right. Some people have words on their virtual backgrounds. I've seen some people put their top five Gallup strengths. So, ooh, I'm telling you a little bit about who I am. Do you do you like those or not? So I'm going to point to data because <laughs> I always feel like that is a safe place to go. Initial research indicates that people prefer a real background as opposed to a virtual one. In fact, if you wanna get specific, uh, people prefer bookcases and bookshelves, number one, a framed artwork, number two, and then a blank wall, number three, and then a distant fourth are the virtual background. And a lot of the reason behind that is just because the artificial intelligence that's used to create it isn't perfect. And oftentimes it'll have a difficult time telling where you end and the background begins. And that's when you get kind of the watery edges around you. I have a big challenge where my hair is often eaten by virtual backgrounds, or if you put your hand up and then your fingers disappear and that looks weird. What that can do is be distracting, but also cause some visual disturbances. I had a client tell me that she gets a migraine whenever she watches people who are using virtual backgrounds. So I would say use them sparingly if you can curate a place behind you. And it doesn't take much. It can be like five feet behind you. You can have total chaos just off screen, but for that five feet behind you, let's make it look um, clean, uncluttered, and perhaps with a little bit of depth. So what do I mean by that? Well, you want to have several feet between you and whatever is behind you, because otherwise, if you sit in front of a blank wall, you'll look like you're getting uh, your passport photo taken. I feel you. So this would be a back, a bad background. All my that junk. would be a little uncluttered. So <laughs> I'd be like, okay, Marcy, you need to clean up your your office a little bit. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like you know their mother whenever I'm doing. <laughs> what if I just stop my video randomly? You're like, oh, maybe she went to the restroom. Is right. that okay? Is is that okay to do? Or should I you type that. in the chat? Like, yes. I'm gonna go to the B right B R B. Is that professional? Yeah, well, everything requires a little bit more context because if you don't provide the reason behind your actions, it can be misread. So if you, for example, have 
the UPS guy come to your door, ring your doorbell, and you need to actually go get it. Then I would say, put, you know, turn off your video, mute your audio, put in chat, you know, answering the door, uh, be right back. And that's completely fine. But if you don't do that and suddenly you disappear, it does create questions. Uh, so I had a client who was telling me about, and this might be interesting for some of your folks who are going through the interview process, or maybe they've experienced it themselves. Uh, my client's spouse was going through the hiring process and she was on her final interview and she thought she was bombing it because her interviewer spent the entire time looking away uh, and, and down, didn't look at the camera once. And she thought, oh, geez, I'm just you know really doing such a poor job. Well, she got the job. And a couple months in, she finally did say something to her now manager and said, hey, this was my perception. And he said, oh, my gosh, I was taking copious notes because you were saying so many great things. I wanted to capture it accurately. So you can see how two people could be in the same virtual meeting and have very different impressions of what occurred. So providing a little bit of context takes all of that miscommunication away. He could have just simply said, I'm absolutely paying attention to you. I'm just taking notes. And then it'd be done. But he didn't do that. And so she came away thinking that she wouldn't get the job. Yeah, that would be that would be a little nerve wracking. I just blurred my background. So I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, it does kind of cut off my fingers. A little bit. Yours is so layering that's... a little bit better than I've seen many of them. And it, it, usually that happens, Marcy, if there, you have a lot of contrast. So you have dark hair and you have a light wall. So it's easier for the AI to be able to, to detect where you end and where the background begins. But the challenge is when there's not a clear delineation between you and what's behind you. So, uh, you know, I blonde hair, if I'm sitting in front of a light wall, my hair disappears. Very good to know. Yeah. And, and just to check that out ahead of time. So um, we, we really do for the virtual interviews, as well as the virtual meetings and interactions want to come across like you're respectful. And I, that really resonated with me. Wow. Our time has flown. Um, this has been such an awesome conversation. Our last question is, we're going in our time machine 20 years in the future. I wonder if we'll be hybrid, if we'll be doing virtual, if we'll be back because there's no more pandemic and 100% herd immunity. What do you predict in the workforce and what advice would you give to yourself now? 20 years. I mean, that just seems so far out there, Marcy. We might be talking about holograms by that time. You know, and just <laughs> the one thing I would suggest is, I don't anticipate us ever going back to business as usual prior to the pandemic. I think virtual will be a part of how we communicate from here on out. So it's not going to be all in person. It's not going to be all virtual. It will be a combination of the two. So these skills are really essential um, from here on out. Uh, in terms of you know what I would tell myself uh, is just try to enjoy the moment that you're in it. I do have a tendency, I would say, to always kind of be thinking about the next step. Uh, but, you know, it's allowed me to kind of position for things in the future. But there's so much joy to being in the moment. Uh, and, and that's something that I, I think I learned mostly through having my children. Uh, but if I can also apply it in my professional life as well, I think I, I'd also be able to uh, get even more joy out of that. What a wonderful thing to leave our listeners with. Karen Reed, CEO and Chief Confidence Creator of Speaker Dynamics. We will link up to your new book, Suddenly Virtual, in our show notes. Thanks, Karen. Thank you, Marcy. I really appreciate the opportunity.